Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are beginning Genesis because we are beginning our cycle of reading again. We always finish at Simchat Torah. We read Vizot Bracha, the last Parsha of the Torah, at Simchat Torah, and immediately begin Breshit, uh, Genesis, and then Genesis, we do the real study and reading of the first Parsha of Genesis, the Shabbat, immediately following Simchat Torah. So we are, uh, last week we did uh, a little bit of the Garden of Eden stuff, uh, so Mehmet, that's what you missed. Um, and uh, talked a little bit about the tree of knowledge between good and evil. We talked a little bit about uh, the tree of life, two trees in the garden. We studied uh, Midrashim that suggest uh, it was the same tree, which is a very interesting Midrash. Uh, but as Tamar Applebaum, who brought that teaching, I sent you the video of her teaching. Um, and she's the one who said, you know, she brought the Svat Ahmed, who said, or sorry, a different teacher who said that it was... Uh, the same tree, but she also said to us that there are many midrashim that say we picked the wrong tree. That when we ate, we ate from the wrong tree. That uh, had we eaten from the tree of life, right, <laughs> things would have looked a little different. Um, and that we had the opportunity to eat from both, right, but chose to have the world that we have instead of what was possible. Um, anyway. Uh, lots of wonderful stuff around that. We are going to the next Parsha, which is Parsha Noach. And so lots of cool stuff with Noach. Um, we are not going to spend, George, a lot of time on the theology of Noach. Um, we are not going to spend time defending the God of Noach. Um, I told you that I'm trying this experiment of going to each Parsha and just kind of figuring out what's interesting to me that I don't necessarily get to teach because I'm always on the wrong triennial for an, a piece of interesting um, midrash or teaching. So um, so that's what I've done. I've brought you some stuff that I really like. Um, it happens to be in the first triennial <laughs> reading, which is where we would be if we were reading on the triennial. Um, but I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the traditional story. I would rather go into the Midrashim um, that everybody in our tradition has had to deal with. Because, George, you're not the first one to have a problem with the God who destroys innocent people and innocent life because whatever. So this is all... All throughout our history, everyone who reads the story has the same set of challenges and the same problems. What often happens then is that we read it creatively, and that's what I want to do, is go to some of those creative readings rather than spending a lot of time on the straightforward shot, the actual story, and then how people deal with the theology and the defense, which is called theosophy, right? Did the defense of... God. I just don't, I'm just not real interested in, in doing that today. All right. So if y'all want to do that, you may create a chavruta and gazunta hate. All right. So let me, let me share my screen so I can show you the text. Okay. So we're actually going to start at the beginning of the text because that, because that's what, 
that's what I want to play with, um, is what, where our Midrashim go, where our Darshanim, our, our folks who write the commentary, um, they, they go to language. They go to Hebrew. We're going to look at a lot of language today, um, because it's really where so much of the interesting, fascinating stuff lives. All right. So that means we have to be familiar with some of the language from the start of our story. So, Ela Toldot Noach. So now we're going to get the story of this dude, Noach. Toldot are generations. So we're getting a story about the generations of Noach. And, and we're, and we don't know him until, um, till now, till the end of the Parsha before. Okay. So, um, here we get, um, so I want to go a little bit before the, sorry, to those of you, you can look on the screen, those of you who are here, if you don't want to jump around the book. Um, but at the end of Genesis, uh, the, the Parsha before Noah, remember, we, we break it up, but it wasn't always broken up. So it makes sense that we have something a little bit before our Parsha begins. Like these, these breaks are not how Torah was written. Um, so this is, here we go at verse 6, Vayinachem. Adonai, ki asa et ha'adam ba'aretz, ve'yit atsev elibo. So, vayinachem Adonai ki asa et ha'adam. God regrets having created the earthling, ba'aretz, on the earth. Vayit atsev et elibo. And God's heart is sorrowfied. Six, six. So notice, vayinachem. So do you see this Hebrew word, vayinachem? That's God regretted. Okay, you don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to be able to read this. Do you see this? Yes? This is why you can't do it all in translation. Okay? So you don't have to know Hebrew to notice that the nun and the chet of vayinachem is the same as noach. These are the same two letters. All you do is change the vocalization. So noach vayinachem. This is on purpose. Right? This is the beauty of why and how the story is written the way it is. So God regrets vayinachem. What is going to be part of the solution to that? Noach. This guy, noach. So being a, huh? I wondered why this story began here so quickly after the creation. And that's why, because God regretted. It's well, that doesn't explain thought. temporarily why it happens here. It's ten generations from Adam to Noah. But in the Torah, it's happening very quickly. No, it's ten generations. Did we get a story of those we, ten generations? We are told, we are, it's, it's, Torah is very terse on a good day. So once upon a time, and then the queen's great, great, great grandchildren, you don't have to spend a lot of time talking about those to know, okay, well, we've jumped. We've jumped. So now it's, now it's the great, great grandchildren's time, and now the story's going to continue. So, so we assume the ten generations yes, that have correct. gone through. Okay. Correct. So ten generations is a thing? They're, they're named in Genesis 5. So we get a list, you know, so we get a list. Thank you, Richard. Um, So people know, okay, it's been and here we are at 
at the story of this dude, Noach. All right, so um, so God is going to emche et ha'adam, asher barati. I'm going to destroy, blot out, wipe out the earthling from the face of the earth, this earthling that I created. All right, now look at verse 8. Venoach, this is the disjunctive of, not the conjunctive of. Venoach, but Noach, matzachen be'ene Adonai. But Noach found favor in the sight of God. You don't have to speak a lot of Hebrew. I'm going to change the final nun to what it looks like there. Noach, matzachen be'ene Adonai. Noach, Found chain. Same two letters, just flip them. What is chain? Grace. So the, the, the. Rabbi Amy, we cannot see what you are writing on the board. Okay. Um, look at verse eight. Look at the first word. Venoach. Matzachain. See that first word and the third word, they are the same letters. The first word, noach. And the word chen are the same letters, chet and nun. For those of you who don't read Hebrew, it's a little confusing um, in the text, which is why I wrote it on the board that you can't see, because um, it's a final nun. And so it doesn't look the same, but it's the same letter. So chen and noach. Chen is the reverse. I don't know what you say, not a palindrome. Um, that means you read the same thing both ways. What? So chen is, huh? No, because anagram is, um, is whatever. Chain is the reversal. You read Noach backwards, you get Chain. That is not an accident. <laughs> right? So, um, so once again, I want us to, to be a little familiar with the language so then you can understand where our commentators are going to go. Ele toldot Noach. So here are the generations of this dude, Noach. Noach ish tzaddik tamim haya bedorotav. So Noach is an ish tzaddik. He is a righteous person. Tamim. Um, Barry can expound on what tamim is. Tam is kind of, it means like simple, but simple in the sense of pure. So you go to a Jewish headstone and you often see ish tam, a pure man, a simple man. Um, it does not mean simple, like n- uncomplicated, meaning this person wasn't bright. It, it means uncomplicated in that they don't have a lot of hidden agendas, right? Like they're very straightforward. So this is Tamim uh, Hayabidorotav, in his generations. So um, so that's, that's a, a lot of places the rabbis go is in his generation, meaning not in general for all time, just given his generation, he is what we would consider righteous and pure. Study not, um, not forever in every generation. All right, Barry, did you want to say something about Tamim? If so, unmute and speak, please. Uh, yes, I wrote in the chat also that uh, Tamim could also mean uh, perfect, flawless, um, when we talk about time, shanat mima means a complete year. Okay. So he's adding uh, depth to this idea of uh, tamim, that's, that it's perfect. But but in modern Hebrew, it just means naive. 
Right, Ishtam, kind of a simpleton, you know, like, right? So Ishtam, we don't use it, you know, right? We don't use it in modern Hebrew so much as a compliment anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah, so don't, don't. Right. <laughs> okay. So Vayolid Noach Loshavanim. Noach has three sons: Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Uh, and so the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas. We've had this conversation before. The earth is filled with Hamas. Um, the rabbis want to talk about what exactly is Hamas, and there's lots of interpretations. It is definitely a kind of violence, um, lawlessness, um, Hamas, and that's why Hamas is named Hamas, because that's what they want to create, is a sense of it's all lawless and chaos, and you should be terrified. That's what terrorists are in the business of, is making people afraid because there is no Law, you're not safe. So there is so much Hamas that God decides that this just is intolerable. The land is filled with it. How does land get filled with what human beings do? This is the biblical worldview. That when you behave a certain way, it goes into the ground. It goes into the earth itself. So God saw how corrupt the earth was because all the basar, all the meat, all the flesh was, uh, had corrupted its ways. And God says to Noah, uh, the end of flesh has come before me because the, the, the land is so filled with Hamas before them. And so I'm about to destroy the earth. Is there commentary on the fact? It seems like the the sin here on the earth is how people are acting towards each other, not towards God. I mean, other than they're supposed to be nice to each other. But the sin is not that they're not sacrificing or whatever to God, but how they treat each other, which is for me is just an amazing basis for what this is all about. Because because it's about how we treat each other and that that's really what God wants. Well, that's later prophetic. You know, God says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to be nice to each other. Okay. Make for yourself a teva. So I want you to listen to those words and y'all at home will be able to see this now. Make a teva. Barry, is it an ayin or a hay? Ayin? I can't spell in English. Barry, ayin or hay on teva? Hey. 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 All right. Teva. What's a teva? What is he supposed to make? A teva. What's a teva? Hey, thank you, George. See? He's supposed to make an ark. All right. So teva is ark. And he's supposed to make it out of atse gopher, trees of gopher. What is gopher? So I'm going to show you all a trick. We're on Safaria. This is where I'm showing you the text from, is from Safaria. Watch this. Ready? Magic. Click on verse 14. And what happens? It opens this lovely little window. And look what you can choose from. Commentary, Talmud, Midrash, Halacha, Sheets. You can go to sheets and see anyone who's created a sheet that contains this verse. Right? I have many sheets on Safaria. I've given you a lot of them. Remember when I give you those sheets that I said I made on my in my sandbox? 
called Safaria, you can see anyone's sheets that has a sheet that includes this verse. Very fun. That is a hole I have gone down many a time to only to only to emerge like four hours later. All right. So but if I click, watch what happens. Commentary. Ooh, there's Rashi, there's even Ezra, there's Rambam, there's Forno, there's a Bravanel. You can look at whoever you want. Pay attention, Richard. Um, right. This is this is an amazing toy. Click on Rashi. Make thee an ark. There are numerous ways by which God could have saved Noah. Why then did he burden them with him with this construction project? Because God was hoping people would watch Noah building the ark and would say, what are you doing, Noah? And Noah would say, well, God is about to bring a flood on it. And they would repent and be saved. But no. Um, and here he quotes Sanhedrin. Where does this come from? This comes from the Talmud. From Sanhedrin 108b. All right. So this is a toy that you can use at home for free. I mean, it's not even an advertisement, right? Go for wood. Sepharia.org. So why? So when we want a straightforward answer, we go to Rashi. Rashi is very much about a straightforward answer. Um, to He knows everyone's asking a question about the actual text, what it actually means. He'll go into other stuff too. But if you want, what does this word mean? Where does it come from? Go to Rashi. Rashi says, I'd say gopher, gopher wood. Where do, what the heck is that? Thus is its name, I, whatever. Why of this species, gopher? Because of the gopherit, the sulfur, by which it was decreed that they were to be blotted out. Okay, so for so for Rashi, it's not just go for wood; it's go freet. It's it's connected to sulfur, which is going to help blow stuff up. That did not clarify anything for any of us, most likely. But but you get a sense of like this is this is what Rashi. This is how Rashi is going to bring together go fair and and why? Because obviously it's not clear to anybody <laughs> like why. Well, what the heck is go for wood? All right. So that's so that's the toy I had to show you. So now if you want to get rid of it, you come up to this corner and you just click on, boom, X, and you go back to the text. Okay, you can do this for every verse in the Torah. It's an amazing thing. Okay, so it's make for yourself you this Teva. Sorry, I said it was going to put you out of business. You know, like AI putting people out of business. I know, right? That's I, I worry a little bit, but not so much. <laughs> Jews are too lazy, don't worry. Not just Jews, humans. Uh, plus, it's like even I at my level, like I can look at these commentaries and it's not till I sit with a teacher, like who masterfully, like, right? Then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to study Torah together, not by ourselves, right? Okay, so this is how you'll make it. Then it goes into all these details about it. The one detail I want to do with you here because we're going to do a little bit of this, is Tsohar. Yes, Barry, already be thinking. Tsohar. It is a hapex legomenon. Tsohar. You know what that is. Y'all have learned with me enough. Tsohar is a hapex legomenon. It only appears here in the Small Torah. Window. Huh? Small window. Ah. A small window. This is the only place we see this word in Torah. 
That is an engraved invitation to the rabbis. Normally, they go to the other places in the Torah where it appears, and then they start playing with that. With a hapex legomenon, you can go cuckoo pants because there's no other, it's not used anywhere else. So if you're not going to go somewhere else in Torah to figure out how do we get window from this root, well, you just start going to other places we have words that sound like this. And that's where we're going to go a little later. All right. So you need a tzohar in the teva, right? You need a tzohar in the teva. We're just going to stop there. All right. Then um, God says, I'm going to bring a flood. Everything's going to perish. And then God says, what? You, y'all, uvata el hateva. You're going to come to the teva. Now, do you remember when we had this conversation, come unto Pharaoh? Do you remember that conversation? Why didn't it say go to Pharaoh? Right? So the rabbis have beautiful commentary on Moshe first has to come unto Pharaoh. Right? The Pharaoh that exists within Moshe. Right? Or God says, I'm not just the good and groovy stuff. I'm everything. I am reality, capital R, which means I am also Pharaoh. So, okay, so there's this lovely commentary. The same question can be asked here. And you will come into the ark. Is God in the ark? That God should say, come into the ark? Why does it say, and you'll go into the ark? Ah, okay. We'll look a little bit at that too. Um, so you're going to come into the ark, you and your children and your uh, wife and your son's wives, right? And you're going to take two, in this version, two of each uh, creature. There are two different Noah stories. We did that one year. We're not doing that this year. In this version, it's two. Um male and female from everything, right? Um, and you are going to take food that you're going to have to store and keep for them because they have to be kept alive on the ark. Um, and Noah did was what he was told because that's what Noah does. Just as he was commanded, he did. Okay. Now we're going to see at chapter 7, verse 1, Vayomer Adonai Noach. And God says to Noah, Bo ata el hateva. Come, you and all of your household into the teva. Ki otcha ra'iti tzadik. Because in you, I have seen righteous, that you are righteous. Um, lefanai, before me, in this generation. Okay. And it, I was going to say any questions, but of course there are. Yes. I was going to ask you, um, is there a similarity? I guess I, I, if I had your gizmo, my computer here, I'd look at my look it up myself. But, you know, I was I'm still sort of stuck in the desert. I haven't quite. You're into, you're still stuck where? I'm still stuck with in the, the children of Israel. I mean, you're I stuck in the desert. In the okay. desert, uh, because we just started the new chapter. So right. I'm still a little. Uh, so I, you're still shifting. I'm still shifting, but um, what's clear is that you know when they when the when they build the Ark of the Covenant, a different ark. It's a devotional act and requires a lot of labor. Building this ark is also a kind of devotional act. It may be out of fear or not quite, but it also, I mean, that's a big thing he's building there. And I was just wondering if there's any discussion about the similarities between the two arks and the devotion of building them. And uh, Lovely. That's a lovely midrash that I would love for you to write. Um, <laughs> the reason there's not more classical midrashim is because there's no relationship in Hebrew. That's what I was. Ark is the English translation. They do not relate. They, 
I'm sure in English it's because they're both a container right. made out of wood or whatever, you know, but in Hebrew that the wordplay isn't there. Yeah. Okay. So, That's so there isn't is. a lot. We're uh, going to look at the word plays on Teva right now and Tzohar because it's just so gorgeous and so fun and so wonderful. It's not there in Hebrew. Aron is the word closet is the word for the Torah is the word for the Ten Commandments. It's a closet. It's an Aron. Um, it's not the Teva is a word completely unrelated to closet. So in, in the Hebrew, it is you know, boat, bo, you know, come on to, but why is it, why do you think on the translation, the English translation, they have go to the ark? So, uh, you, I want you to answer that question. Why do you think they changed it in the English, to go into the ark rather than come into the ark? Because they have not been here with you. Because they have not been here studying Torah to with us. Very good answer. Um, right, mic drop. So, the... <laughs> We're all laughing here. There's like a lot of us here and we're all laughing. So those of you at home who can't hear that. Um, so, cause I think with translation, you have a challenge. You have to decide which translation you want to use because you have to decide on the agenda of the translator. So some people choose not this JPS translation because they want Davka to retain more of the sense of the Hebrew. Right, so I was just watching the beginning on Safaria. You can watch it. Um, that there's an interview with Everett Fox, who just completed, I guess, a, a translation of Tanakh. And so the 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 person who's in charge of uh, Safaria, my wonderful classmate um, at Hartman, Sarah Wokenfeld, was interviewing Everett Fox. And and so why would I go by Everett Fox's translation? We all have how many, right, available to us or sitting on our shelves that we were given at our bat mitzvah. So why would I go by Everett Fox's translation? Because if you agree with the philosophy of the translator, he wants to stay, he would have translated that as come unto the ark or come into the ark because he wants to, to retain the nuance of the Hebrew. The agenda of JPS is what is a different agenda? What is JPS's agenda? More and more, and more secular and more like what, what does it actually probably mean? Go into the ark. But then you lose if you just translate it as what it probably actually is supposed to mean. You you then render the English reader unable to appreciate the rabbinic commentary on come on to Pharaoh. The the nuance isn't there if you. If you translate it, what it's supposed to be. So, um, yes. So, so it's about the agenda of translation, and you should always match your the translation you read to the agenda, to the philosophy of the translator that you choose. It's a parallelism in language, having things mean the same thing at different levels. It's a parallel thought coming into and going into are two different interpretations. So if you, if you keep the idea of coming into, it's an invitation. Okay, but what I'm saying is that's already a read. Probably the straightforward rendering is go in the ark, but it's not written that way. So like, do you, do you know what I'm saying? But like, probably that's what it means. Just go, go in, take your st- luggage and, and go into the ark is what it means. 
But that's not where the rabbis want to stop is what did it actually probably mean for the people writing it. They want to do more. So they want to say, what is come? Why is it come and not go? There must have been a reason. And because it's God who wrote it, well, obviously there's a reason. Right. And so we're, so their lives are about, okay, well, let's try to unpack what we can learn from God choosing the word come instead of go. All right, so we're going to go to the Sfat Emet. This is Rabbi Aaron Lieb Smokler through the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. She brings us teachings from the Sfat Emet on the portion every week. You all know I love the Sfat Emet. Rabbi Yehuda Leib of Ger, the Gerer Rebbe. His work is called the Sfat Emet. Jewish scholars are named after their work. So he's called the Sfat Emet because his major work is Sfat Emet, the language of truth. All right, so he brings... This verse from Torah. God says to Noah, go into the ark with all your household. This verse stands in quiet contrast to the initial command to Noah to build the ark issued in the previous chapter. Make yourself a teva of gopher wood. Many Hasidic commentators, beginning with the Baal Shem Tov, who's the founder of Hasidism, found in the latter phrase, bo el hateva, go, literally come into the ark. If you need, if you're a visual learner like me and you need it, it's on the screen. Um, God says, uh, literally come into the ark, a unique invitation, Judith Ubik. God says to Noah, bo, come to me. After Noah physically executes the enormous construction project of building the ark, he is still outside of it. So God issues him an intimate welcome. It is time to enter and begin the journey. Beautiful. But it's not going to stop there. The Hasidic tradition cited by this Fatimet, however, is not satisfied with an invitation to a literal teva. Instead, it imagines a call into a teva of another far more abstract sort into the words tevot, letters of the Torah, because what is another translation of the word teva? Any guesses? Teva for the rabbis means word. Teva means ark in this specific context. The word for teva also means word. So for the rabbis, hello, it does it get more beautiful. God is saying, Bo El Hateva, you and your whole household, come into the word. You and your offspring are invited by me to come into the word. And of course, for the rabbis, those words have to be talking about words of Torah. As the floodwaters rise around him, as the chaos of the world threatens, Noah is summoned to enter into a haven of divine language. Letters as much as a physical ark may save him from drowning. We're done. <laughs> right? When it feels like the world and it, you're going to drown in the chaos and destruction in the world all around you, what is the Jewish answer? Bo el hateva. Ata uvetecha. Come into the word. You and your household. You and your offspring. The Sfatimet says, Every person can bring themselves to every word of the Torah 
and the words of prayer. The call to the Teva is a call to each and every one of us to actively bring ourselves, even to forcefully insert ourselves into the words of our people, to locate ourselves within its frames, to see ourselves in the stories we tell and the prayers we utter, to carry with us our many gifts and burdens, and to find space for it all on our collective ark. Noah was charged to bring all of this baggage on board. Bring it. God says, you got Samsonite? No problem. That doesn't scare me. Bring it. Bring yourself and all your baggage. The ark can handle it. And so are we. In the search for safety, we ought to leave nothing behind. There is room for all of our stuff within the ark of our people. And the reward for this audacious assertion is nothing short of revelation. This entrance of us into the words actually saves from hiddenness. What hiddenness? The hiddenness of whom? Who are we worried about being hidden? God. Because when God hides, what happens? Like that's the Hasidic explanation for how terrible things happen because God is hidden, right? So this entry into every word of Torah and of tefillah, of prayer, this is what saves from hiddenness, all right? So I'm not going to go into a whole big, oh, I knew it, okay. the way things go, the Torah hasn't been Moses before Moses. Correct. So what words are being talked about? Wait, what? There's no Torahs. There is no early and late in Torah. It is not linear. For the rabbis, it is revelation. So you have to take, you can't, you can't say, well, this is before we got Torah, so how can it mean Torah? It's in the Torah. It obviously means Torah. Because it's in the Torah. And the Torah is God's revelation. Right. You, but that's that's an exegetical principle. Ein mukdamu me'achar b'Torah. There's no early or late in Torah. It's a really important exegetical principle to know, or else you make total sense. You just don't make sense to the rabbis. Rabbi A.J. Heschel has a wonderful saying, God is hiding in the world, and it's our job to make to bring God out of hiding through mitzvot. Well, where do you think that comes from? Well, from exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very right? terse 20th Th- this, century take uh, Heschel knew all of this. Heschel knew these teachings. Heschel knew about hiddenness, right? And Heschel's got to deal with a modern world that is really struggling with what feels like the hiddenness of the divine. I think also that the baggage that we're bringing in is our own hiddenness and our w- unwillingness to open to what's available. <laughs> Right. All right. When we choose to climb aboard the ship, so to speak, to bring our full selves into our spiritual awareness, at the very least, we might come to know ourselves. At most, we might come to know some truths of the sacred universe. And like Noah, we might find ourselves on solid ground, even when all feels shaky beneath us. This is no small feat, says Asfat Emet. Surely one must be worthy of Torah to truly find oneself in Torah, which may sound as if it excludes some of us. 
Yet he closes by reminding us that an ark is not discerning. It lifts up all that is placed upon it. So too can Klal Yisrael, the collective of Israel, carry all who humble themselves to be a part. Community can hold what individuals cannot. Oh, right? I just got chill bumps. You're right. I just got chill bumps. As we seek refuge from flooding, literal and figurative, may we be blessed to find safety in words and in one another. Rabbi Aaron Liebsmokler, people, like she's just, she's brilliant. A brilliant writer. Um, so she's bringing this fat I met, but she's bringing a modern, right, contemporary read of the teaching of the Sfat Emet. I think an incredibly beautiful piece. Um, all right, David, you look like you're about to use the microphone. Because it's, that's my job. That's my job, right, okay. No, I didn't want to keep interrupting you, but I was thinking about, you know, the um, the possibility, uh, you know, if God wants to destroy the world, there's plenty of systems in like, put it closer to your mouth so they sorry, can hear if it. God wants to destroy the world there's lots of ways to do it um, and the choice of a flood is an interesting one because the water is also you know a lot of the rabbis talk about it when they speak of water it's also Torah um, you know it's sort of synonymous with that so I just I was just uh, thinking about that you know that that, that flooding the world uh, using water which is usually a very positive sign. <laughs> In Judaism is is sort of an odd choice, like you know, instead of just raining hellfire or killing everyone with disease or something like that, it's almost like he's cleansing it and flooding it in his words. I mean, that, that, that's why I was thinking about it. So, words. so yes and no. Yes, it might seem odd, like a plague might be better, right? However, I think plague was fairly normal in the ancient world. That wouldn't have been so extraordinary. I know what you're saying. It's, like it's water, water is usually life-giving. Why water? Okay, because usually water is life-giving. If you have too much water at the wrong time in Israel, yeah. it's not life-giving. It is completely destructive. You, I told you, you have to listen on the radio certain seasons to drive like down south to the Dead Sea because you could be caught in a cash in a flash yeah, flood and killed. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were very aware in the ancient Near East. That water is a tricky thing. It is something that is seen as directly related to God, right? In our story, it's also the waters are also directly related to what? Creation. How does God create? God separates the waters above from the waters below. So if God wants to uncreate or discreate, what do you do? You stop the division between the water above and the water below. So, so on a lot of levels, this story makes sense. So this, and, and there's also, of course, as we all know, the, the sort of uh, mythological precedence. This is not the first flood story. Other, Correct. So, so in Mesopotamia, you have to have the flood story. The question is, what's the point of the flood story? Right. And there's the survivor becomes a, a demigod. What's the end of ours? What, what happens to Noah? What happens to Noah? Do you remember? Yeah, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. He lives his life a, a, a drunken disaster. Well, he's he's like a I think of him like like a Holocaust survivor. Who never right. Died. So survivor guilt drives him to addiction, right? And so, like, it's not a good thing that happens to Noah. Being the survivor is not not a good thing. So so part of the point is you take the flood story and you change 
you reconstruct it, right? And the last thing I'll say about flooding is that we pro- probably, there is a memory of everything being, co- if you lived through Katrina, for generations, the people in that part of the world, in that location, will talk about destruction through the lens of Katrina. Injustice will be talked about in terms of Katrina. Systematic racism will be talked about in terms of Katrina. Is it about a hurricane? No. But it, you're going to use Katrina as a hurricane as your descriptor because that was the manifestation that they experienced that was related to everything else, right? Yes, rain has to come in its right time. If it doesn't, it's destruct, it's completely destructive. Your crops drown. Like everything is ruined. But my point being, there's probably a Katrina experience that, that everyone in this part of the world was writing about. There's a reason we have this flood story in every culture in this neighborhood. And probably there is a historical memory that this becomes the paradigm, flood becomes the paradigm for absolute, utter devastation. And there is a flood story in almost every culture. But this is the only one where the survivor does not become a god. I don't don't know enough to tell you, but I don't know enough to compare to every flood story in the neighborhood. What I know is... Not just the neighborhood. It it is the, the, you know, it is the... And I love David's use of the word tsunaminous. <clears throat> okay, tsunaminous. So we're going to go to something similar to tsunami. Um, okay, so we're going to go to um, this piece about verse 16 of Genesis chapter 6 provides an example. He's talking here, the commentator, about the, the depth and richness of the Hebrew language as opposed to something like English. And I say this all the time. I'm an... I was an English major at Northwestern. I love the English language. It is a beautiful, fantastic, amazing language. The, what makes English beautiful is nuance. This is not insulting English, this commentary, to say Hebrew is a language of depth and resonance. That is what makes it beautiful and rich and fabulous. English is just as rich and just as fabulous, but it's a language of breadth. In English, to be elegant, you want to be an elegant English writer or speaker, you need to find exactly the right word for blue. Azure, cerulean, peacock, right? English is about you, you, or you, you take that word about blue and you put it on emotion, right? It's a language of nuance. That is the opposite of what makes Hebrew, makes you an elegant Hebrew writer or Hebrew speaker. Because Hebrew is a language of depth. What resonates in every three-letter root? You, Noach and Chain. That is the beauty of Hebrew, right? That Noach is Chain backwards. Noach is grace spelled backwards. That's the beauty of Hebrew. And, and that's what makes you a, a really good Hebrew writer is that you write in a way that has all of these cross references that make you go, huh. Because the writer's not just talking about a dude and God's grace. They are not separate, right, in the Hebrew language. Okay. 
So that's what he's going to do here with Tzohar. So he's, God commands Noah to build a skylight, a cubit wide, which is about a foot and a half, at the top of the ark's slanted roof. The term in Hebrew is Tzoha Lateva, right? A Tzoha Lateva, for the Teva. The first Hebrew letter in the word Tzoha, skylight, is a Tzadi, which is a sibilant that its sound is T, right? Tzoha. The letters in the Hebrew alphabet that sound similar create an interlacing fabric of meaning that reveals the undercurrents in the text because it's a hapex legomenon. We're going to listen for other words in the Hebrew language, right, that are like tzohar. Tzohar, a world full of light, is connected in modern Hebrew to tzohoraim, afternoon, noontime, because that's when... The time when there's tzohar, when there's light, is the afternoon. Change the tz from tzohar to a z, zohar, and it means brightness, glory, and emanation of light. Change the tz to a t, tohar, and you get purity or innocence. Change the tz to a s, tzohar, and you get prison. As in the Joseph story, the imprisoned could not see the light of day except through a small skylight, right? If you were lucky. (laughs) What was Noah's Ark? A prison in which human decadence shut out the light of day, a time of innocence and renewed purity, a receptacle for the vision of an Abraham who would soon revolutionize human consciousness. There's more. The Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, read the tapestry of the text as a reflection of the emanation of the light of in human speech. The word for ark, teva, also means word. On occasion, our words are closed prisons waiting to be set free. On occasion, there are arks housing thoughts. They are our arks housing thoughts emotions, and the visions of our souls, carrying the fullness of our being on a stormy sea in search of shelter, in the depths of personal meaning, or in a gift to someone that human speech can express. But always, as the Baal Shem Tov would have it, with a skylight that infuses human speech with compassion and a sense of renewal, such are the words of Torah. The Teva, right, has... The word has within it a tzohar, an opening, right, that's about letting in the light. Richard, do you want to say something? It's interesting, even though this is in a different tradition, that the Gospel of St. John, which is the last of the four Gospels, the latest one, sort of... So furthest from Jesus. The furthest from Jesus and the least Jewish, starts with, in the beginning... Mm-hmm. And the word became flesh, right. and the flesh was Jesus. Because um, if you want to reconstruct Israelite cult religion, if you want to reconstruct that, you're going to have to start with some foundational concepts. One is in the beginning was the word, right? And if you're not going to stay with that word is the word of Torah, if you're going to reconstruct that, Makes complete sense. Your guy is the word made flesh. That's how you reconstruct Judaism. Makes total sense. And what what I hate for Christians 
what I hate for Christians, I'm just, they miss all that. They miss the beauty of their own tradition. They miss the beauty of how Christianity reconstructed early Judaism or late Israelite cult practice. Like, that's what I hate for them. And all my Christian pastors feel this, friends feel the same way. That they hate it, that their people don't really get that in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. They don't understand why that, why that? Why would you start with the word and then talk about the word becoming? Well, because they're, right? They're trying to take over and change and adapt the religion that is all about the word. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't other influences. I'm not saying that. I know there are many other in Greek and what I, I know that, but I'm saying they miss kind of their own the own beauty of their reconstruction of our tradition. Okay. This is Rabbi Arthur Waskow. It's a long piece. I'm jumping to the end of the piece because we don't have a lot of time. And I was afraid this might happen. All right. So I'm going to the paragraph that starts today, the Judaism of the rabbis. Page two on the bottom for those of you with a hard copy. Um, So he's talking a little bit about about floods and about um, the flood of Hellenism that came and destroyed much of the Jewish world and commitment to Jewish practice because a lot of Jews became Hellenized. And then, of course, with the rise of those empires that destroyed Israel, essentially Hellenism won. You know, that, that philosophy wins out and Jews, massive, most Jews convert out, right? They become Hellenized, right? So when the great flood of Hellenism washed away the world of ancient Israel and the whole of the Mediterranean basin, right? So he's talking a lot about that. Um, but I want to go to, and so I encourage you to read it. He says today, the Judaism of the rabbis, meaning what, what the Judaism of the rabbis is what allowed us to survive the Hellenization of the Mediterranean basin and Israelite cult practice, right? What saved it, as we all know, was rabbinic Judaism, right? So he's saying today, what's going to save the Judaism of the rabbis? Because <laughs> that's in trouble. Um, the Today, the Judaism of the rabbis has been flooded by modernity as the Judaism of the Bible was flooded by Hellenism. The economy, the polity, the science, the philosophy, the system of self-defense that embodied rabbinic Judaism's encounter with God has been washed away. Meaning all the circumstances that gave rise to rabbinic Judaism being a good answer are gone, by washed away by the flood of modernity. It is time, he says, for another great immersion in God. Drawing from the mikvah of our rebirthing, another great reinterpretation, another Talmud. Right, the Talmud was the rabbi's teva. It is time to digest modernity without being swallowed by it or vomiting it out. It is time to renew Judaism in the light of the full equality of women and men and shaping what Judaism is to be in the light of our realization that spiritual paths like Buddhism, Sufism, the spirituality of indigenous peoples bear truths that we can learn from in the light of our discovery that God in history seemed to have given Abraham's other family as deep a stake in and love for the land of Abraham, Ibrahim, Abraham, as they have given us. Encompassing all these, we must renew our teaching in the light of the danger that the story of the flood is no longer just a fairy tale for children. 
For in our generation, human technology is posing a profound danger to the whole texture of life on Earth, including us earthly humans, human earthlings, so that for the first time in human history, there is a real danger of a flood of fire and smoke that could shatter the web of life on this planet. For we have accomplished the great task that Torah set before us, earthy humans, as we hovered at the edge of Eden. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. We have filled the earth and subdued it. Where shall we find a Torah for the next turn of our ageless spiral? The Eden of Genesis was the Eden of childhood. Where is the Torah of Eden for grown-ups? Perhaps it is in the Song of Songs, which teaches us endless seas and floods, torrents and rivers never put out love's infinite fires. Shall we choose the fires of love or of destruction? The fire, the cloud of smoke that rises from the Amazon, that fire is our warning. We need to learn the name of Noah's wife, which is Naama. Naama, comfort, and listen to her teaching. We need to learn the teaching of all the sages, of all the other peoples who, according to the Talmud, knew when the flood had descended on the earth. What God needed to do after contemplating the flood, we need to do before it happens. We need to reinterpret our Torah so as to give new life to Judaism, to the human race, and to all life that lives beneath the rainbow sign. That is what the rabbis did to save us from the flood of Hellenism. But just as the rabbis entered a different teva, so must we. Right? What is this new teva we must enter? To our ears, the same old teva. To our eyes, a different teva, spelled with different letters. So he talks about we're an oral people, right, as well as oral. Um, because the word teva spelled differently means nature. Have you had sandals made by a company that spells its name T-E-V-A? Teva! It means nature. So he's saying, don't hear when it's an oral story, Teva, instead, hear Teva, <laughs> right? Um, where the ancient rabbis perforce withdrew from Teva, here meaning nature, we must re-enter Teva, now far more conscious and more loving than before. We must enter new aspects of our bodies and the body of the earth around us, new dances, new musics, new sexual ethics, new eco-kosher ways of eating, not only food, but also the rest of what the earth gives us, coal and oil, wood and paper, new ways of healing our societies and our relationship with the earth, a new teva to save us from the rising flood. Amen, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah. That's where this story for me winds up being the most powerful and the most meaningful is around we now are the ones doing the destruction. So what is the, right, what is the demand, what is the command of our tradition given that we are now the destroyers? We don't need to worry about the theology of God the destroyer. We don't need that. Who needs God? We're doing it, (laughs) right? We have the capability. We have nuclear capability. We have the capability and are destroying life on the planet. That is, for Waskow and many others, that is the call of this story now. How do we enter both the teva, the word, the teachings, the things that will save us from flooding, um, that's the destruction happening all around us, which I think every time I turn on CNN anymore, right? Like, you can't spend too much time in these tevot, in these words, a little bit, and then you have to withdraw. And you need to spend time in other 
Tevot because that's what's going to save me from the feeling that it's all going to hell in a handbasket um, because that's not helpful. Me walking around stressed out and anxious doesn't help anybody, right? So I need to spend time in other words. In what words? Well, obviously, words with y'all of Torah, words of poetry, words of good fiction, words of philosophy, Hartman words that help me think differently and approach differently, words of, you know, love to my kid my, that, that help me remember, okay, soften, 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 right? Um so that and this this idea that that the rising flood, how do, are we saved? We have to enter the ark, the ark of our tradition, and that means we have to reconstruct it for our time. That is our work here, people. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.